Well, this is one of those times, again, where Jesus is involved in a larger conversation here. And we've been involved here in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 now for several weeks. We'll continue for several weeks more as as we look into even chapter 17. But Jesus is there this final night there with his disciples celebrating the Passover. That's what happens in John chapter 13. And then he goes into this long, lengthy conversation with his disciples. And as you get to the beginning of chapter 15, he then leaves. And that's what you see at the end of chapter 14. He says, now come, let us, let us leave. And so as he, they leave the upper room there and, and head out to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus continues this conversation with his disciples. Again, we know that the, the 12 disciples are with them. There are probably other people that are falling kind of behind as well. But this whole purpose of this conversation is this. Is he, Jesus is having this lengthy conversation to prepare his disciples for what is about to happen. And what is about to happen? That in a few hours, Jesus was going to be arrested. In a few hours, Jesus would be placed on this illegal trial. In a few hours, Jesus, in the, early the next morning, he would be taken to Pilate's. Uh, and then in, by 9 o'clock the next morning, he would be crucified upon the cross. By 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he would be dead. And as Jesus knows this is going to happen, because He knows His hour had come. That's what John tells us in John chapter 13. He knows His hour had come. The purpose why He came. And so as He is there and knows that this is the final hours that He has with the disciples, He wants to prepare them for the fact that He will be leaving them. And so as Jesus goes through this conversation, and we're not going to go review everything that we, we've seen, but he pretty much explains, he said, listen, it's, it's a good thing. We'll see this more and more, especially next week as we, he goes and talks a little bit more about the role of the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing that I'm leaving you because when I leave you, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come and be a part of your life. And this is what it means to be a follower of mine, is to remain in me, to abide in me, to be connected to me, to continue to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to me. But if you do that, understand this, there's going to be a cost. And that's where we kind of, the part of our conversation, or part of Jesus' conversation we looked at last week, He says this, if the world hates you, then keep in mind, that it hated me first. And that's from verse 18 that we saw. And what Jesus is saying there is, is listen, there's, if you are going to follow after me, be prepared for, for the world, for unbelievers to, to hate you. But don't get freaked out about that. Because it hated me first. In fact, some of us, we, we struggle with this, this understanding of persecution and hatred, and, and it comes down to, to this, is because of our view of pain and suffering that we have in America. This is not, if you look at the global church, the universal church, uh, this is not everywhere. In fact, if you go our countries in China and Iran, they understand this, that if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you better be prepared, persecution's coming. In America, we always have it opposite. That if we experience persecution, if we experience harassment, if we experience pain and suffering because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then something must be wrong on my end. Because we do not like pain and suffering. About a month ago, the co-op we were involved in uh, went bowling. 
I haven't bowled in in years. And for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, my, my fingers are getting a little more chunkier uh, than, than I was uh, last time I bowled. But if you touch my fingers, it's not like they're getting fat on them. I don't know what the other way to say that. They're, they're still bone. But so I had to get this 16-pound bowling ball that was the only way my thumb could fit. And at the end of one and a half games, my elbow hurt like crazy. To the point that a month later, if I move it just right, it still hurts. And reminds me of that game and a half of bowling that I did with the kids. It would be so easy for me to go into the medicine cabinet to pop in some Tylenol, ibuprofen, and, and, and take that pain away. But there's a difference between good pain and bad pain. And this elbow thing is actually probably good pain because I probably use muscles I haven't used in a long time. Same thing when you're weightlifting. If you're, if you're going to go to the gym and you're going to want to build your muscles, you're going to experience pain. You're going to be experiencing soreness. You're going to experience, if you're, if you're a runner, you are going to experience pain and your legs are going to hurt, especially if you are pushing for like six, seven, eight miles. That is a normal process of building yourself up, your muscles up. But for some reason in America, we have this mentality, if I have pain, if I'm experiencing pain, something must be wrong. So I'm going to jump to pain pills. I'm going to jump to morphine. I'm going to jump to whatever to alleviate that pain. And that has carried over into our understanding of followers of Jesus as well. I take a stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People will ridicule, make fun of me, and I'm like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Instead of saying, as Jesus says, listen, they hated me. They will hate you. Because according to Jesus, being persecuted is actually a normal process for his followers. And again, in America, we don't think this way. But in countries like China, Iran, North Korea, uh, and northern part of Africa, uh, where there's intense persecution... This is how they think. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, then I will face persecution. If you want to know more about the persecuted church, there's a great organization called Voice of the Martyrs. And like I said, I've, before I listen to their radio podcast and they, where they share these stories, I get their magazine. And it is interesting that as, the, as I have read, and I've read their magazine for years, Every time, it seems, every year they go through and list the, church, the countries where the, the, the believers are persecuted the most, and it seems like it keeps adding more and more countries. This year, the country of India was added because of the persecution that is happening there. But Jesus says that. If you're going to be my followers, then you are going to face this. That's going to be normal. In fact, as Jesus continues in this conversation... And in verse 22 there, he goes on and says this, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for sin. And sometimes people will look at this, and, and this was even some of the, the conversations that, that when the, the first, you want to say, uh, modern day missionary movement to, uh, to send missionaries around the world, this was some of the rationale of this verse is saying, Whoa, Jesus, are you saying... This, that, that if you were not to come, 
then people would not be guilty of their sin. So in other words, Jesus, you shouldn't have came at all. You should have just let this world continue and, and, and then everybody would have been okay. That was the rationale behind when, when people like Hudson Taylor started going overseas. People were saying, listen, why go share the Gospel with the pagans or with the heathens across the, the country? If God wants to save them, He can save them on His own. And Hudson Taylor's like, listen, what about those verses that if they, that if, how are they to hear about Jesus if no one goes and tells them about Jesus? And people thought that he had lost his mind going to tell people about Jesus. This is not what that verse is saying. In fact, when you look at this verse in John chapter 15, verse 22 again, it says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of their sin. And, the, and because the, we have to ask this question, you know, who is Jesus referring to? When he talks about the they and they have no excuse, again, who is Jesus referring to? And it's the religious leaders. And you think about the religious leaders and what was happening to them in their lives. They thought everything was, was fine between them and God. They thought that everything was good. That if they were to die, that they would be in the very presence of God because they were righteous. They had kept, especially think of the Pharisees, they not only kept God's law, but they had kept these, these other laws to, to keep them from keeping God's law. I mean, they had so many laws that they, that they had to wash your hands a certain way and, and so forth. And, they, and, and they, they thought that they were okay. And what Jesus is saying here is that if the religious, leaders, the religious leaders were not aware of their sin, but now they have no excuse of their sin because Jesus has made them aware of their sin. You look at how Jesus treated the religious leaders. And how Jesus treated the common folk like the woman at the well. Or like the tax collectors. Like the sinners. When Jesus has conversations with the woman at the well, when Jesus has conversations with tax collectors, when Jesus has conversations with, with, with the average folk, what is His usual conversation like? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much God cares about you? Why was that the conversation Jesus had with, with the average folk? Because in their mind, God hated them. In their mind, the woman at the well, she was this understanding that I'm not, I'm not pleasing to God because of my sin, because of my lifestyle. I, there's, 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 nothing, there's no hope for me. The religious leaders on the hand, they were saying, if you want to be right with God, look at us. Do what we want to do. And Jesus went after the religious leaders constantly and said, listen, you are not as righteous as you think you are. You are not in a right relationship with God the Father. You think if you can follow a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, you are okay with God the Father. No, that's, that's not it. You are a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but the inside, you are a sinner. A helpless sinner just like everybody else. And that's what Jesus is saying there in verse 22. Is if, if they now, these religious leaders, they have no more excuse about their sin anymore. And why is that? Because Jesus goes on to, says, uh, to say that, that Jesus spoke to them and Jesus has performed these miracles and signs to them. Verse um, 24, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. 
As it is, they have seen. And yet they have hated me and my Father. And so Jesus goes to these, the religious leaders and He speaks to them and He challenges them and He says, you're not as good as you think you are, but He also has done these signs or miracles. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, the way John talks about them and, and these miracles in, in His Gospel is He, calls, he says, uses the term signs. And the reason why John says this is because every single miracle that John includes in his gospel is saying is, is a sign of who Jesus is. So when Jesus turns the water into wine, his first sign is the understanding that Jesus is overall creation, that he can take something and change it into something that's totally different. Because nowadays you can't do that. If you take a, go get some water and just sit it there, no longer how long you sit it on your counter, it will never turn into wine. Never. But Jesus took it and miraculously changed it. Jesus is over all of creation by, 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 by controlling the winds and the waves and just speaking it and they listen to Him. Jesus is in control even over death itself. So that when He calls Lazarus from the tomb, what happens? Lazarus comes out and after four days. And of course, that famous verse, and He stunketh or stinketh. He had B.O. And again, why does Jesus do those things? To prove of who He is. Which is why the religious leaders, they understood that. And they, so many people saw the, 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 the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead that they even wanted to kill Lazarus again because so many people started to follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus says here. They have no excuse anymore. No excuse. I told them. I spoke to them the truth of God's Word. I perform these signs and miracles of who I am, and they have rejected me. They have no more excuse. And that's why the in verse 24 there where I just read it says, and it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. And this is to fill what is written in the law, they hated me without reason. And again, Jesus is referring to religious leaders, but we can apply this to more broadly to it to anybody that if a person rejects Jesus, if a person rejects Jesus, then they also reject God the Father. Again, this was huge for the disciples who realized this. Because again, these religious leaders, they were saying, we're, we're followers of, of God. We're sons of, of Abraham. And again, you have that conversation. Then Jesus is like, no, you're not. It's the faith of Abraham. I could, these, these stones I can make be, become children of Jewish people. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity. It has everything to do with your heart. And Jesus says, if you reject Me, then you reject God the Father. So these religious leaders, they're rejecting God. They're, sorry, they're rejecting Jesus and ultimately they are not. Ultimately, they are rejecting God the Father, Yahweh as well. And Jesus says they're not. They're not followers of God because they've rejected Me. John will say something very similar in 1 John, a letter that he writes where John will say this, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Again, he's writing to believers to encourage them. 
I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, because no one lies, because no lie comes from the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such the person is the Antichrist. And again, it's a little a, denying the Father and the Son. Why are they denying God the Father? Because they reject the Son. Do you realize that today? If somebody rejects Jesus, then they are not followers of God. They do not worship God. No matter what other world religions out there, if they reject Jesus, they do not follow the one true God. Because that's what Jesus says here. They rejected me, and they hate both me and my Father, the one who sent me. But then Jesus goes on and talks about the Advocate, or this Helper again. And again, this is a conversation, and, and, one of the, and, a, and a part of this conversation is, and sometimes we, we forget this, that Jesus is having this conversation, so He repeats Himself, and He brings things up, and then He go, moves on, then He comes back, and then He moves on, and so forth. And this is one giant conversation that Jesus is having. And so he, he kind of introduces or talks about the Advocate back in chapter 14, and then He goes away and talks about the vine and the branches, and He brings back the Advocate and this, the, this Helper again and, and explains a little bit more. And so as Jesus goes on in verse 26 of chapter 15, He says when the Advocate or when the Helper or the Spirit of Truth or, or, or the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will bear witness to Me. In fact, Jesus says there in verse 26 that there are actually two witnesses that will, after He leaves, there will be two witnesses upon this earth. The first one will be the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. He will bear witness to Me. Then Jesus kind of moves on to another thing and He will come back to that. We'll see that more in detail of how the Spirit bears witness to Jesus here in the next Next week, when we look at the rest of uh, the beginning section here of John chapter 16. But then the second one is, he says, his disciples. Look at verse 26. When the Helper, the Advocate comes, when I, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify, he will bear witness about me. And then we, then we have like a period and then another verse. But technically, this is one thought. He will testify about me, comma, little a, and you, which is emphatic, you also will testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Again, that was part of as he goes on, and and this is, again, he introduces that, hey, they're going to be a witness for me. He kind of moves on and then comes back to this. Again, toward especially in chapter 17 when Jesus prays for His disciples and He prays for us. I mean, it is Jesus is saying then, listen, I'm leaving. Yes, there's a Holy Spirit that's going to come and He is going to bear witness to Me. But this is your role as well. That you will be My followers and you will tell people what you saw. And then He goes on in verse 1. Of chapter 16, he says this, All that I have told you, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. 
The reason, again, the reason why Jesus is telling him the disciples this is so that when these things happen to you, when the when when I leave, you understand. He he, he warned us when they persecute you, uh, you understand. Yeah, they this because they hate hate Jesus. They they're going to hate his followers as well, so that you do not fall away. And the understanding of fall away is literally all this I have told you, so that you will not. Sin. The NIV changes the word sin to mean what it refers to, means fall away. And that's what that word sin means to walk away, to no longer remain in Him. Verse chapter 15, again, we have these vine and the branches, and it's all about Jesus says, You are to abide, you are to remain, you are to continue to follow after me. Yes, they're going to hate you. Yes, they're going to persecute you. But continue to follow after me. Make it to the end mentality. Don't give up. And that's what Jesus says here in verse 1 of chapter 16. I have All this I have told you so that you will not sin. You will not abandon me. You will not reject me. You will continue to abide. You will continue to remain. You will continue to follow after me. Again. There is a huge movement in the evangelical American church that's called deconstructing my faith. And a lot of people, the, and, and it's the understanding, if you've never heard that before, that this is, that these people will come out and, and they basically are saying that I have, I, I'm rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ and a lot of them walk away. There are people, and there's been famous people, like, and a lot of them are musicians. The lead singer of, of Hillsong went on his Facebook page and social media and said, I don't believe anymore. And walk away. Pastors. And again, the, one of the reasons why they, they, they struggle with this is because of this problem with pain and suffering. Because they look at this problem of pain and suffering and they ask this question, how can a loving God allow this pain and suffering in this world? That's a huge question, and some of you know that I teach um, in a homeschool apologetics class on Tuesday, and we wrestled with that question for, for two, two weeks, asking this, what do we do about pain and suffering? And as I was preparing those lessons, and as I was, again, asking that question, how can a loving God allow this pain and suffering in this world? All of a sudden, I realized that it, Almost like one of those light bulbs came on and said, you know what, God's going to do something with this, this, this pain and suffering problem. He's already promised. And all you have to do is get to Revelation chapter 19, 20, and 21 and realize God deals with it. And He'll make everything right. But why now? Why is Jesus being... He's not being slow at His return, but He's wanting what? Every single person to come to know Him. He's given time. Because if God was to step in and deal with it, there would be no hope for the billions of people that have rejected Him. Jesus tells them, verse 1, the reason why I'm telling you to be prepared, the reason why I'm telling you if you're my follower, life is not going to be a bed of roses and everything's going to be okay. And you're going to have all this money in the bank account. You'll never have to worry about being sick ever again. The reason why I'm telling you be prepared for this is so that when this happens, you do not walk away. There's a, a new song that 
a guy by the name of, I believe, Matt Baldwell uh, wrote it, uh, but it's become popular through uh, Keith and Kristen Getty called I Set My Hope. This is a, they call it a hymn for a deconstructing friend, uh, a friend who just goes through that and is walking away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a lot of it deals, again, around this pain and suffering. This is what the Gettys say about this song. We all know someone who has thought about leaving the faith, who has wondered if it's all real. You know, maybe you are that person. And this song is for the doubters, the skeptics, the hurting. It's a reminder that though we are tempted to wander, God rushes after us with open arms. There's a truth that's more than all I feel. There's a rock who is steady. And of course, that rock capitalized referring to Jesus. The through the fiercest storm. I will share the video on Facebook this afternoon so you can listen to it. But the verses that relate to what Jesus is saying here to his disciples is kind of the last verse. Though the world called me to leave my Lord, I set my hope on Jesus. Though though it offer all its vain reward, I set my hope on Jesus. Though this heart of mine is prone to stray, give me grace enough to finish till I worship on that final day. I set my hope on Jesus. Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower... The reason why I'm telling you all this ahead of time, and you're going to tell him them a little bit more here in a few moments, but the reason why I'm telling you all this ahead of time is so that when it happens, you will not leave and walk away. That you would not sin. We saw a couple of these last week about how Jesus tells us to be prepared. The first one is be prepared for the world to hate you. That's back in chapter 15 verse 18 again that word hate despise just like we again we use that term a lot of times for food man i hate that i hate that type of food that's the same mentality number two again we saw this last week for the world to harass you or persecute you that's what it means to Persecute, we use that term, oh, the, the persecuted church, the, the, they're the believers that are being harassed because of being a follower of Jesus. Again, you can see that back in verse 20. But Jesus goes on and says a couple more here. Jesus in verse 2, he says this, they will put you out of the synagogues. Now again, in the, that first century Jewish, Jewish culture, going to the synagogues, was, was again, that was part of that, that tradition. That was part of what you did as Jewish, as a Jewish people. You would go on, on, on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, and you would gather together. And if you put, and if they put you out of the synagogue, but basically what they're doing is they're saying that you are being treated like an outcast. They're literally kicking you out of their town. They're shunning you. They're excommunicating you. They're saying, we want nothing to do with you anymore. And again, that happens all around the world. People who become followers of Jesus Christ, whose families kick them out, whose neighbors despise them, treat them like outcasts. And Jesus says, that's going to happen to you. They will expel you. They will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a a service or worship to God. And that's the, the last thing he says there. Is, does, as Jesus follow, be prepared to be killed. And did you catch that last part there? That 
There's going to come a time when those who kill you will think that they are actually serving God, worshiping God, that they're doing the right thing. And again, you think about world religions like the Muslims. They go after, because the book of Quran, and you can, and if you can read the Quran for yourself, and you can see this, they are told to hate the Jewish people and Christians. They call them infidels, and they are to kill the infidels. That's literally what the Quran teaches. Again, that's not politically correct for us to say in America, but that's what the Quran teaches. And so when you look around northern Africa, where you look around those places in the Middle East where, where Islamic rule, and you look at that and you think, and how in the world, why do they go after Christians and Jewish people so much? Why do they hate them? Because they're taught that. And they actually think in their skewed understanding of, 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 of what the Quran teaches, what Muhammad taught, is that that is actually worshiping God to do that. If you take out believers in Jesus Christ, your reward is going to be greater in heaven. So no wonder why you have people strapping bombs on themselves, suicide bombers. Because they're told, if you die that way, you automatically go in the presence of God. Again, that's not true. Because they reject God, they, sorry, they reject Jesus, who they, who they also reject, God the Father. Again, that's what Jesus says here. Jesus says, you better be prepared. And the reason why I'm telling you this, verse 4, I have told you this, all these things. The reason why I'm having this conversation with you is so that when their time comes, referring to when you are in the midst of this persecution, when you are in the midst of, of wandering, scratching your head, thinking, well, I'm supposed to be following Jesus and doing this, and I'm going to make fun of well, how it, why is this? When their time comes, you will remember that I have warned you about these things or about them. So that when, as followers of Jesus... As we follow Jesus in our workplaces, as we follow Jesus and we stand upon the truth of God's Word and when, pe when people make fun of us, people harass us, people do, do things to us that we're not thinking, oh my goodness, something's wrong with me. But instead of saying, listen, they treated Jesus that way, that's, that, I'm just gonna, that's just normal. Because that's just what's going to happen. Again, Jesus tells His disciples these things in order that they may, be, may remain faithful to Him. That they wouldn't, and as persecution comes, the religious leaders come. And again, you think about Jesus' death, resurrection. Forty days later, we have Pentecost come. Uh, a few days later, uh, John and, and Peter are there in, in, the, in the temple. They, they heal the guy. And what happens to them? They get thrown in jail. The same religious leaders that persecuted Jesus, they are now standing before them in Acts chapter I believe it's either three or four when this whole scene plays out. Same group. And they say, you better not talk about Jesus anymore. If you do, we took out Jesus, we can take you out too. They get released. They go back to the, the early church. They're probably still in the same upper room there in Jerusalem. And they respond and say, listen, this is what the religious leaders did. This is why we weren't here last night, because we spent a night in jail. Now we're going to, now we're going to, uh, here, here's their threats. And then they start praying. And it's not saying, oh, Lord Jesus, hear their threats. Make them stop. No, they're saying, Lord Jesus, hear their threats. Give us more boldness in spite of their threats. Because they got it. Jesus said, I'm telling you things. So when these things happen, you can make it to the end. You do not 
fall away. You do not sin so that you can do be like this guy at the end of your life. You finish that race and you are more amped up about being a follower of Jesus at the end of your life than when you first believed. And you get in the presence of God and you look at your Savior face to face and He says this, well done, good and faithful. That's the key word. Faithful servant. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things because I want you to make it to the end. I want you to be a fault my follower to the end of your life in that you don't sin and walk away. Make it to the end. Again, Jesus, as He's having this conversation with His disciples, He's preparing them for what's going to happen. And I know in, we've been talking about this for the past several months, it's an assurance of salvation and this great gift of salvation that God has given to us and how and the, the images that Scripture gives us about how we're redeemed, how we're these new creations, how, how we've been justified, set free from our sin, from death. And so many times, and again, we, we've watered down, in my opinion, we've watered down the Gospel of Jesus so much that we think, oh, if you believe in Jesus, we, it equals eternal life, and that's it. But there's so much more to that. It is a daily relationship of following Jesus where Jesus becomes our Lord and Jesus becomes our Master and we are His servants. And Jesus is preparing His disciples and that's why John includes this conversation to tell us as future disciples of when you become Jesus' followers, the whole goal is not eternal life. The whole goal is being that follower. Remaining in a faithful relationship with Jesus. And when trials come, and they will come, because we live in a sinful, fallen world, it doesn't matter who you are, someone in your family will get cancer. That's just the reality that we live in. You will experience sickness. You will experience death. Hardships. You will experience that because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And Jesus says, understand that the reason why I'm telling you all these things, my disciples, is so that you are prepared and you will not walk away. That you will continue to be those faithful followers that produce much fruit for the glory of God. That should be your hearts. And may our prayer be, Lord Jesus, may I follow you more. May I be faithful to you more and more each and every day. In spite of the consequences, may I be that faithful follower of yours that stands firmly upon the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ.